Hey guys, it's Tyler. This is a section we're now calling Preliminary Bombardment, where I just kind of let you know what's going on. So we uh, recorded this at Good Games Rockingham. Um, there was a large event going on, hence why you can hear a lot of background noise. And we are still working on uh, the best ways to improve our audio. So one of our microphones was uh, slightly broken. So if the audio at any point gets a bit rustly, it has nothing to do with your speakers. It's once again a problem that we are working on and we endeavor to keep making this better and better every time so stick around we all think the content's pretty good and the production qualities will just get better and better thanks see you in the next one Welcome to the Historical Miniature Gamers podcast. This is episode 11, and we're going to be focusing on a segment that we're calling How to Get Better at Bolt Action. Today, I have myself, Jacob. I'm Daniel. Gorton. And I'm Tyler. So you've got the whole cast here today, uh, and we're really just excited to get back into uh, talking about bolts. Um, so uh, why don't we get straight into it? Um, so. The main thing that we all want to discuss is how to get better at bold action. Uh, I think it'd be a really good idea if you haven't checked our previous episodes before. We've just done a two-part series on list building itself. Um, we've got a lot of other interesting content out there about deployment and other decision makings that you'd be making within the game itself. Um, but also, uh, we're really here to just kind of discuss our journey of becoming better at playing this game. Uh, and we've got a whole cast of uh, various uh, experience here. So uh, I, I've been in Wargaming for a couple of years. Dan's been in it through most of his life, right? Arguably. Yep. Yeah, yep. Like 50 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just a quick intro, how long have you been playing Gorchen? So I'm probably coming on to two years in Bolt Action now, yep. but it's probably been almost a decade of casual Wargaming. Yeah. Uh, and yep. grew up playing chess and checkers and that sort of thing as well. Fantastic. And how about you, Tyler? Um, I played board games when I was like 13. Yeah. Just, uh, that was yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was for a year or two. Then I just lost all interest during high school. Then yeah. probably been playing Bolt Action for, yeah, probably about smack up, like smacked up a year since um, probably started playing with Skulls and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just very quickly, just as an event recap, we just had an event down at Outpost 6030. Divine so, Luck, yeah. Um, how did that new, go? New Dawn. Sorry. <laughs> Divine Luck is the one that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so New Dawn. So New Dawn was an opportunistic one that we had uh, with Outpost 6030, the ability to help facilitate um, running some stuff. So um, we actually had a lot of normal players that wanted to come, but it was just too short notice. They couldn't make it work after Christmas, but that was fine. We still had 10 people come down and have an absolute ball on the day. Um, I changed up the format quite a bit with, with how things were done. And a lot of players actually found that very refreshing. Um, so to, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, um, they didn't know what missions they were going to be playing on the day. Um, they had two potential army lists that they could bring to, and there was a matchup process um, of what which would, people would fight with, uh, and that allowed them to have a little bit of, um, you know, well, I want to bring something really like super cheesy and disgusting in case my opponent does, and we'll have like the raddest, like dirtiest game. Not many people actually ended up doing that. <laughs> Most people ended up just bringing lists that were 
um, generic enough across the board with a couple of elements that were quite dangerous. Um, and then that matchup process just threw the whole thing for six um, because the missions were part of the matchup process. So um, yeah, it, was, it actually seemed to run pretty well, got quite a bit of feedback on it. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look to see what we can do in the future on that. One of the things that I did like about that one was the tournament scoring wasn't individual. You were, you were cu cumulative to your whole team. So whether the allies won the round or the Axis won the round. And that, that was actually quite interesting because normally when you come to the tournament, you're in it for yourself. But we came into round two or round three and Dan was like, oh, allies are down a little bit. And I'm sitting there in the next game and, and it's not like I'm not on. I think I was at one win, one loss coming into round three. And I'm sitting there going, it's like, I need to do the best job that I can, not just for me, but just to really help bring the allies over the line. I ended up drawing that game, so I didn't do too well. <laughs> but but it, was, it was interesting to feel that extra tension, that extra pressure. That pressure and it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like stressful, it wasn't negative. You just sort yeah. of, you really felt that competitive vibe come yeah. through. So, um, I mean, you're in a room full of friends there, so you're like, yeah, yeah I really yeah. want to help build this up. No, that, that's really interesting. Um, pity I missed that event. Um, but we got another one coming up, Divine Luck. Um, Anything especially you want to note about that? Uh, probably, so this is another one where um, Justin loves being creative with his mission packs and his mission designs. So, so this one is, uh, he, he bounced this idea. He's like, do you reckon people will go for it? I went, look, let's just put it in because if it, it's early in the year, right? So, so if it doesn't fly, we can, we can try and repair that relationship over the next eight months. But, um, but what we've done is an, an escalation style uh, list, list build and that has thrown a real spanner in the works for most of the players. Um, in fact, at least two on this table. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, because because normally in an escalation list, you'll go, right, your, your final position will be 1250. So build a 1250 point list. Uh, and then, but we're also gonna do lead up. So build a 750 and build a thousand or something like that. Justin's gone a step further to go, yes, that's true. But you can't, anything you're using in that 750 and 1000 point list, can't be added or subtracted so uh, in terms of, and right down to war gear number of models and veterancy so so all of your essentially everything that you have to play at 750 will exist in exactly the same form at your 1250 point list and at your 1000 and at your 1000 point list it's made it really um i've already had a few comments back going like i like this but i hate this <laughs> like, this is just so hard um because people are having to go normally at 1250, I would go this, this, and this. And then when they scale, the you make. that's right. Yeah. And then when they scale it back to go, what would I fit into my 750 list? They go triangle, square hole, doesn't, <laughs> yeah. doesn't go in, like doesn't fit. And, and I've, this week's been a little bit more relaxed for me for some other quit commitments and, and feel the distractions. So I spent the majority of this week just musing about different sort of list builds that I would put in. I didn't put anything down on paper just to get some rough ideas of what I would do. And so I sat down yesterday, I was like, cool, I think I'm happy with this. I've looked at the missions enough. I've looked at the, the list and my potential options. And I put some constraints in like, no, my list has to be this, this style, and I'm gonna learn to play this style. Um, and, and I remember I sat down yesterday and I was like, you know, I'll just spit out these lists in 20 minutes. I've been thinking about them all week. Yeah. Uh, and I said, and it was still what, like one and a half hours later, I'm sitting there, I've got my 750, my 1000, my 1250, I've got the mission pack. I've drawn out strategies for the missions that <laughs> yeah. I'm playing and I'm going, do I want my howitzer in the first round? Do I need him in the first round or do I need him in the second round? Or can I just delay to the third round? And I'm, it, it was yeah. just... It ended up being like a 1250 list that I was pretty happy with. And then um, a thousand point, 
a thousand point list and I just realized that when I started taking those items out, I was way below a thousand. I was clocking in at like 900 points, which wasn't quite the, the hamstring that I wanted to put myself on. And so I ended up having to keep changing my 1250 list to give myself a list that was more scalable. And so it was really fun and really challenging, um, but I'm gonna play test a little bit and then once I'm happy with it, I'm actually gonna do the same thing that I did for, for November Skulls, is I will go through my entire process, I'm gonna put, put a post up, all of the, the lessons, all the rights, all the wrongs, and because when I did that, we actually had a really good discussion. And I learned a lot from other people's inputs and other people's perspectives. Um, and I hope that other people did as well. I got, I got yeah. some, some private feedback. People said it was really good content. So I'm gonna do the same thing again. And I will also stay true to my word. There were some really good suggestions in that, that came up in that thread that I really wanted to take, but that wasn't the point. The point wasn't community list building. I wasn't crowdsourcing my list with, and crowdsourcing my strategies. And my point was, I was trying to get what everybody does in silence and, and in isolation and make it transparent but not necessarily use the advantage of that. And I will accept the disadvantage that some people might build the count of my list, but we play Axis versus Allies and there might be a blue on blue round. And if every Axis player is specifically building to verse my list, they are probably hamstringing themselves. And so, and so, and, and we've talked about this before, list building's not as big of a component in bolt action as it is in other war games. So I'll take the, the minor hamstring and I think it's, I think it's gonna be really good. So uh, thinking back, would you probably would have started at the 750 and just kept upgrading? No, no. It's well, the, prob the problem with that is you build your 750 list, you go, yep, no worries. So now when you go to your 1,000 point list, you've only got 250 points that you can allocate yeah. and you can't touch any of your existing squads. Yeah. So then when you get to your 1250 point list, you, you have the same conundrum again. So when you, so yeah, so you okay. can't, if you build at the 1250 down, you can at least scope in the things that you want to function at 1250, yeah. but then you lose those scoping requirements at the front yeah. end. So it is a very much a case of you can go either way, but it's yeah. gonna bite you either way you do yeah. it. So what, what was the thought process with Justin? Was this like, this is your units that are going further and further within the war and they're getting reinforcements attached onto them? Is that? I'm, I'm actually not entirely yeah. sure. Okay. He may have just fallen yeah. down and hit his head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, genuinely, um, Justin, like, like me, has, in, uh, has been involved in the hobby for a long time and yeah. so has seen a lot of different ways of doing, um, doing the rules, doing mission types, doing breakdowns. He's been part of Outpost for a long period of time as well. Yeah. So he has seen a lot of different things. I know with 40K, they used to run escalation style leagues and events and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so some of this formatting stuff is probably not unusual to him, um, but overall, um, largely I'm expecting that um, it's, it's probably been him learning from the community of people wanting to try different things. So we have variety in our event scene and things how they work. Um, but then also that step further to go, okay, but how can I roll that out at an event? Because the other thing that he's done, just like when we had Partisan Pete, which was another fantastic oh, yeah. event yeah. that went through, we have Pastor, Pastor Alfredo. Alfredo. Forced to take a chaplain. For Forced free. A free you chaplain. Yep. Cancel yeah. dice cap, but he's free. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so essentially if we've got a, uh, I think the dice cap for this one's set at 15 or 14. Uh, it, it's I can't remember. 10, 10, 12, 14. 10, 12, so 14. 10 at yeah. 750, yep. 12 at 1,000. But of course, Mr. Alfredo takes up a dice cap 
at every single one of those oh, points. Wow. So so you now have, and he doesn't take any points up necessarily, but it means that everyone's list is gonna be nine dice, um, essentially at 750, because yeah. most people are gonna be like, I want nine dice, because I want nine dice when I go to 1250. Yeah. So you're all gonna go that way. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Alfredo just sits there and everyone's gonna have one, and, and he's got slightly modified rules to work for the event a little bit yeah. better um, as a chaplain, but largely it's a case of, when he gets his order dice, a unit within a certain distance on a four plus, they automatically can drop a pin and essentially be inspired to then, um, yeah. when they go to do their order, they are down that pin. Mm. Um, so it's not actually game breaking in, in my opinion, um, getting him for free possibly, but, <laughs> but everyone's getting him for free. So it's sort of, it, it mitigates equally that point. Yeah, yeah e look, look we, we are benevolently equally distributing yeah. these bonuses that are completely unbalanced, but it's, you're all getting it, so it's so fine. <laughs> so speaking of, of balance and broken, um, one of the things that's caused a little bit of a stir recently was the new FAQ that came out. Yes. Uh, and, and that was actually quite an interesting thing to see. Um, well, a lot of times it has been quite correctly summarized that like, if you just read the rule book, you didn't need that, the, the big surprising part of the FAQ. But I think that sort of glosses over some of the details in the way the different communities read. So uh, there were some unit costs that changed, like native irregulars, um, went up to 13 points base, I think, which, which curtails that a lot. There's a few other things about their selectors was corrected, so you, you won't see that as much. We didn't see that so much in the Perth um, meta. I've only come across it once on all the tournament lists, and it was actually quite a challenging list. Um, but it was one of those things that that you sort of go, okay, You want, after a couple of turns, you see how it works. You sit in that damage control and you're like, okay, I can start building some momentum now and do something about it. But the, the main thing that, that really hit a lot of people for six, it seems particularly in the, the American community, was that um, unless a unit specifically set it in its entry in its campaign book or theater book, you couldn't take it in a generic reinforcement too. And so basically that meant if you found new units that didn't say you could take in generic reinforcement too, or said, you could only take them in the theater selector is what they meant. And units that didn't have either meant you could only take them in the theater selector. And so a lot of us here in Perth particularly were playing off that mentality anyway. Because um, it basically, like, Fault Action's a permissive rule set, right? Yeah, it's... I mean, when, when you're playing any sort of game, there's always a level of interpretation and social contract. As we know, when you get down and you sit together and agree with your opponent, by and large, that agreement to do something different to what the rules say always takes precedence because you're playing your game with your friend. Mm. Especially that's, that's if there's the way a TO involved. Yeah, especially, yeah. especially. Um, but there are some things where, um, where if the rules specifically then clarify a direction, uh, to then go against that direction, um, it isn't necessarily the level of cheating. You're not necessarily cheating for advantage and I wouldn't put that on anyone. Um, but you are breaking the rules. So, so you, it's important to understand you can actually break the rules without the intent desire to cheat, that, that they are actually separate yeah. things. Without malicious intent. That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but but you, you do essentially break the rules at that point. Now, so yeah, the, the selectors one is a classic and that's been doing the rounds since version one. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's not a new thing. Um, some of the players might be experiencing it for the first time, but this is actually not a new thing. Um, and, and all the previous indications by, by Warlord and, and, and even by um, uh, Alessandra, who's trying to you know, get the information out to simply go, and it's like, just everyone take a chill pill for a yeah. second. <laughs> like, like it's, Tiger fear! It's, it's, about, it's about playing a game yeah. and it's about having fun. And if your version of what fun looks like in your group is different, that's actually okay. 
because you're playing the game and having fun. Um, for my, for, for, or for, I say my scene, but it's our scene in Perth. Um, very, very early when I was kickstarting it, I actually wrote a statement in the players pack explaining why I wasn't allowing certain types of units from the rule, from the generic, sorry, from the theater selector rules. Um, and, and I wrote that in there because I wanted to be abundantly clear. It's not because all of these units are particularly broken because they're not. Yeah. It's not because I don't want to include anything fun. It's simply because when you open the door to some of these things, you also open the door to things that are not fun, the yeah, things yeah. that are not yeah, okay, yeah, things that can be um, stretched out. And and you know, I know I've pointed out in the podcast before, and I'm not um, I'm not trying to again. I, I don't want to discourage this kind of list from being played in our events, but having nothing but bamboo spearmen in a Japanese list, right? It's it's popular because of how it works on the battlefield. There's a little bit of historic inspiration on it. Um, but when you look at the theater selectors where those where those units are available in the theater selectors, um, I think it's like one or two units. It's not an entire army necessarily yeah, yeah, of yeah. these of these things. Um, and the same goes for a few other things. But um, in terms of whether you can or can't take something, in my mind, the rule still is go have the conversation with the TO or go have a conversation with your friend. In most cases, like for example, the early war French, yeah. they are specifically just called out in a theater book. They're yeah. not, they don't have their own army book. The France has an army book, but yeah. not the early war France changes. Yeah. Um, and so if you're saying no to theater selectors or theater books, you're essentially going, well, you can't play them. You can't play nationalist Chinese. They don't yeah. exist anymore. You yeah. can't like, that just strikes me as silly. Yeah. But the reality is that if your TO, for whatever reason, is going, no, to ensure an element of balance, we're saying rulebook units only, even. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. straight out of the list yeah, in the yeah. rulebooks. You don't get minor nations at all. Yeah, um, yeah. But the reality is, if that's what your TO is wanting to do and can justify the reasons why he would like to do that and make sure that everyone comes and has a good time, this is all a moot point, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this topic has been, has existed for a long time online action and it took me a while to actually uh, come to this way the decision making is correct um, I didn't agree with it at first I'm talking way back when we had the Western Desert stuff that's just on me because I bought way too many models <laughs> but um, I think the, the main problem with newcomers coming into the game is the uh, reliance on Easy Army itself yeah it is such a yeah. great resource to build your army in no time it's free you can get all of your special rules printed out for the most part yeah. mostly it's accurate the main problem it has is it allows those theater units to be put within a generic uh, reinforced platoon uh, and that actually might be by design based on which um, sort of interpretation playing yeah. at and all that kind of thing yeah. I, uh, for a long time I've been thinking oh they really should update that but that might not actually be the intent yeah, yeah. I, I would also be very hesitant to like me personally, I'd be very hesitant to go out to, I think the guy's Greg, who, who sort of runs it and essentially be like, hey dude, I want you to change your list because that conforms to how I think the world should run. <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of like, I, 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 yeah. can, I can recommend a change or I can suggest a change, but the, the reality is that if Greg even thinks it's relevant, yeah. he will do something about it. Yeah. If not, he'll go, People are here to play games and have fun. Yeah. And if that's what they're doing, then that's what they're doing. If the TOs want to use it, then they can use it. Like it's, again, if you're clear with what you're doing and what you're saying, um, a lot of this will go away. But I love Easy Army. I think it's, it's, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I've used multiple list selectors. I obviously, I generally carry a pen around with me and paper all the time. I've tried that as well, um, but that it makes it very simple to get things together. Um, and the only thing I would stress with any of those list building apps or list building abilities, or even writing it on paper yourself, you are not the rule book. Yeah. So always make sure you check with the rule book. And that's all I would say on it. How you interpret or agree to interpret the rule book with your friends, that's then a joint decision. And you make what decision is right for you guys. But if you're going to an event, the TO's got the say. That's just the way it goes. Uh, let's take a break. Okay, so one of the things that we've done a lot at HMG is we've talked a lot about different concepts and and we've talked a lot about the game at a, at a particularly abstract level. One of yeah. the things that, that I really thought that we could do and really want to do with this particular episode is give our viewers something to take home. Um, and I think that there's a lot of viewers on, on our wings, particularly in, 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 in yourself, Tyler, and some of the other people on the cast who really want to get, trying to say? get better at both <laughs> Well, this is a conversation that we have. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so one of the things that I was hoping to do here was to kind of lay out a strategy of some things that the players can do to get better at bolt action. And I'm not sitting here pontificating because I'm the best player in the state, and that's far from the truth. The only thing that where I'm coming from in this one is that is that there there's a lot of different skills that I've undertaken and and I've mapped out, and I'm I'm really passionate about the learning process that people go through as students. And so one of the things that I want to talk to to our viewers about and, to, and, ha and have a conversation with each other as well is is what are the steps that you can take what's the mentality that you need to have and sort of what's the what's the order of operations that that you might need to undertake to get better at something and we're going to use bolt action as a case study in this one now the important preface here is that for you to be a player in bolt action or a player at a tournament you have you must let me try that again there is absolutely no requirement for you to actually want to get better yeah. That, that's not necessary and and one of the things that's really important particularly about any hobby that you want to take uh, regardless of whether it's miniatures or otherwise but it becomes more prevalent in miniatures because there's a lot of rub between different skill levels and different interests is that don't like you know if you paint because it's fun fantastic you don't have to try to get better at painting for it to be enjoyable that's not a that's not a, it's not necessary and it's not sufficient. The only thing that is necessary is that you enjoy it. And if you find that trying to get better at something is detracting from your enjoyment, then it's actually perfectly okay to go, you know what, I, that's actually not for me. I'm just here to have fun. And you shouldn't, that also means you shouldn't then exclude yourself from tournament play either. Right? Yeah. Tournament play is not specifically for the competitive, it's just where those players who are interested in that can flex those muscles yeah. and really just hone that edge. I think that's unique though. Like when I think tournament play within the only other system that I seem to talk about, Warhammer 40k, <laughs> like it's, um, it, tournaments are completely uberly competitive. Like people are bringing their A game, they're there, like yeah. I want to destroy all three of my matches, like cheese yeah. that, like nuts off kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. First Blood um, is a little bit like that as well. That, that's supposed to be sort yeah, of the, the beginning. Introduction, the yeah. introductory to the tournament scene happens early on in the year. And oh, one yeah. of the things that I find is that a lot of, a lot of really top-end players, perhaps maybe not the top 10 percentile, but the top quartile, mm. will actually play off-lists or try new strategies of First Blood. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, no. but it's perhaps not 
the target audience. Well, that. that's probably how you blood someone for the tournament, yeah. slobbing that you yeah. get sometimes <laughs> in our 40k tournaments. That doesn't happen in our bold action events at all. No, no. Um, no. But no. I like, and sure, there are people who take full bamboo spear lists, like. But um, I or think, submit them to the TO at least. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get them into the tournaments. But I think um, for me, the scene itself, like tournaments are there to play. Like, yeah, you're playing more competitively, but you're playing. I, I've never been like, ah, man, what, that was that was trash. I've been seal clubbed. Even when I first started, like, yeah, yeah. I think it was my fourth game ever I played. I started playing in a tournament and I won it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it's just really interesting looking at the different mentalities within tournaments. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just a, it's just how you've developed the scene here because it's completely different. Because yeah. we, we've had yeah. conversations with uh, uh, back when uh, during the lockdown, Gordon. He's very uh, much into the mentality of what we would see within a competitive 40k yes. player. Yes. Completely yeah. minimized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. yeah. And for sure. it's just not our scene. But you'll listen to the other podcasts and you'll see that that's what it's like in the UK, but we've got it yeah. scaled back to, an, to a certain level. And it's very interesting because mm. we have crossover between those players who also play GW games yeah. yes. in yes. the same location. Yep. Yet we've all kind of decided this is my game where maybe I'm, I'm relaxing, maybe I'm trying a different approach or, or, or whatever yeah. else. Um, interestingly enough, in my sort of progression with bolt action within the last two years, you know, it's been a lot of focus on wanting to get better. And some, a lot of those things, it's analyzing what other players do. And then it's learning from my mistakes and seeing what I need to do to improve. But there's a point probably before the last event that we had that I've actually seen that it's a lot of effort to get to where I want to be. And yeah. there's a point where I've gone, actually, I kind of want to scale right here and not even go further. Yeah. And that's just me because I've got interest in, in building this, this YouTube thing and, you know, building up a club. This YouTube try, thing. Try and, try and, <laughs> building a club. No, and, 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 no, but I, I wanted to, like, I wanted to host a tournament with yes. you on that. So yes. there, there's a point where I'm like, well, I could go down the competitive path and actually consistently get better. I, I mean, there's, there's thought processes I'm going to have regardless if I decide to do that or not. I'm going to... Yeah. I'm gonna get better by playing the game more often, regardless. Yep. But there's there's, there's a, a level where there. you can yeah. go. I need to take this more serious, and you have a lot more thought process into what you're doing rather than going through the motions. I guess. Yeah, and I think we're actually gonna to touch on a lot of that um, as we go through these next few points that we've lined up, because because I would agree. There's innately you don't have to want to get better. You. Like, like most things, through repetition, you gain efficiencies. You learn yeah. the right and wrong yeah. way of doing certain things. You naturally will get better at that task. Ironically, playing a game is actually no different to that. Yeah. Um, but there is a point where you go, I'm comfortable at this level, so I don't need to strive to do things differently. Yeah. Um, and, and that's always an undercurrent that sits with, with all of this. But, um, but I think we should dive into some of the other things of... of yeah. So what does it mean to play better? Yeah, and so the... Just before we get onto that, the important distinction that I want to make here is that is that this is not a guide for A to B. It's not a guide for displacement, getting you from where you are now to a defined X point. The thing that we're talking about here is something that's going to change your speed at progression. Yeah. And these are these are the things that will make you better faster. 
Yes. And that's a that's a really important distinction because if you want to get really good at something, just repetition alone, just doing the thing, is not going to cut it. No. And this is something yeah. that that I really wanted to make a make an important distinction on. Um, but roughly in in order of operation, the first and the first most important thing that I would suggest that you need to have a skill that you need to develop is is I'm just going to summarize as as fair and level self critique. So what this means is this this actually sounds kind of um, obtuse, but the important thing is is that when you analyze and I, you, we, we use the word analyze very specifically. When you analyze the events of a game or, or, or a decision after the fact, is that the first and most important thing you need to do is you need to be fair about it. Because very, there will be a very rare instance when you do something or you make a decision and you end up having less information. Every single time you do anything, you will always have more information after you do it. And so when you critique yourself on that decision, do not critique yourself with the new information. Critique yourself on the decision with the information you had available. And that's why I talk about fair and level critique. The other things are like, you can figure out the probabilities of things within within some accuracy in bolt action because you can't pre-measure. You hit chance, your conversion rate to wounds and things like that. So these are this is information that's available. What's also available to you, even if you're playing in a competitive environment, is asking your opponent what that unit is capable of. You don't have to be familiar with every unit in the game, but your opponent has to be familiar with their army, just like you have to be familiar with yours. And it is perfectly um, acceptable, nay, I would say it's actually advisable, if you don't know what a unit is capable of, you ask your opponent. If they withhold information from you, depending on which event and which scene that you're in, that, that might be just a bit of a bit of a frowned upon activity, or it might just be a straight no thing that you shouldn't do. And so that's what I mean by fair and level self-critique. If you don't have that, your progression will be much slower. I would consider that to be a multiplier of your progression speed. It's not just analyze, not just looking at something and going, that was the wrong decision, but go, was that actually the wrong decision? Out of every piece of information that I had available to me, was that the best decision that I could have made? And if it was, you have to let it go. Yeah. You cannot be outcome orientated, you must be process orientated. Because if you're outcome orientated, you might make poor decisions that have, but have good results, and you will go, that's a decision I should continue to make. Yeah. Or conversely, you will make good decisions with bad roles, or sometimes it's the best decision you could possibly make, but because it was a poor outcome, you think it was a poor decision. Yeah. That's not fair in level self-critique. Yeah. It's actually shooting yourself in the foot. And it's actually missing an opportunity. So if I could give an example of how that works from an in-game point of view. Um, recently where we played the Lorraine campaign, and I was yeah. up against Carter Jackson, one of our um, quite good up-and-coming players. Um, now, these scenarios were a little bit lopsided by design, uh, and I had, um, we are playing point defense, he was on defense and I was attacking. Now he had probably a good 50% of his army, all of his infantry uh, in reserve, and he was defending on two of the objectives. Uh, so the third one, I'd already figured I can get there with a track, track vehicle with, with some troops in it. I can hold that one. He had nothing over there. Unlikely he's going to commit a reserve to that if I'm pushing really hard on the other two. On one of them, I basically put two pans of fours and then just started bombing the, the objective into oblivion. And I was like, I'll send someone up there to capture that later. 
but I ran essentially um, a German half track and troops up to the third objective, which was his bottom right corner. Yeah, and, and again, he had all of his stuff in reserve and I was, I, I had got my dice out first, so I had to commit to move on to that objective. We were getting towards the end of the turn. It's like, I have to make a move now. I wasn't owning it at that point, but I had to make a move towards it to either A, draw out his reserves onto that flank so that I wouldn't have to worry about getting gotcha'd on the other. Um, but if I didn't move fast enough, I wasn't gonna get there to be able to hold it. And he was gonna hold it and I was gonna have to fight it off him and that was just not gonna happen. Um, as it turned out, he failed his reserve rolls on all the units that needed to come on on that turn in particular. So that gave me an extra turn's worth of breathing space, but that outcome is not why I should have made the decision. The outcome is that I needed to put pressure on that objective, and that's what I'd made as the decision to move forward with. Yeah, yeah. That, that sort of touches on something else, is this, is this concept of, of analysis that we've danced around a little bit. You know, when we looked at, when we've talked about our list building in the previous couple of episodes, you guys have really pulled apart all of the things that, that, all of the things you can think about when you make a list. But the important thing is, is analysis in and of itself is a skill. If you're talking about a unit, if you're talking about a list, if you're talking about a series of events that have happened. If your analysis of a unit goes, that's really powerful and it ends there, that's not an analysis, that's an opinion. Yeah. And yeah. so the important thing with an analysis is that you have to stay on things that are factual and you can, you can provide evaluation. This is powerful, this is cost efficient, this is economical, but you, I would submit that you can only do that at the very end. Right? If, you talk, if you look at guys who, who value real estate or, yeah. or guys who want to buy cars or other stuff, they come to that dollar value at the end and that's a valuation, that's an analysis of all of the factors. And it's the same thing that, that you need to do. If you find, if you find oh, oh, that unit is BS, or that yeah. unit is OP, that might be an accurate opinion, but until you've actually gone through all the steps and goes, well, let's talk about something that's overpowered. What is its damage output compared to everything else on that curve for its points cost? for its mobility, for its survivability, for its veterancy. All of those things together will allow you to analyze a unit. And same when it comes to a list. And same when it comes to missions, right? You, when you've performed a series of actions and you get to sort of the end of a mission, or the end of a, the end of a game, you will find that the, the decisions at the end are very easy to analyze because there's much fewer branches, right? You go, I shouldn't have just like in the game that I played at November Skulls against Jackson, the difference between a win or a loss, oh sorry, the win and the, uh, actually no, I did lose that one. The difference between that, that one and a draw, right at the very end, was I, I stood my Sherman and I shot at a down unit because kill points were worth a little bit. Instead, what I should have done is a unit of fins that was like three of them left on like six pins, should have just tank shot right through them. Yeah, yeah. Right, and not only would that have most likely scored me the kill point, but it would have put my tank in his quarter, and that would have been a difference of gaining one victory point to potentially gaining four. Mm, yeah. And that's, that's because there was no decision making in that process. And that sounds really weird to say out loud. Got, got a little yeah. bloodthirsty, did we? Absolutely. <laughs> right? And so, you know, the things, you need fair level self-critique, you need to be able to analyze things, not just decisions, but units and lists and missions and build strategies. So the important thing about the analysis is why you think that, not just what you think, but why you think it. The last one that, that I would really, um, really sort of hammer home that I think a lot of people don't realize they have is that in your head, for every decision you make, you have a decision flow chart. 
you might not be consciously aware of it, but you have one. And the best thing that you can do to rapidly increase how, how much faster, how much better and at what speed you're getting at bolt action is to actually analyze and build a decision-making profile. And so that would be for different actions. You would have one for shooting. You would have one for moving. You would have one for for going down. Exactly. Each one of those individual things. And then once you have these little short ones that are confined, they will start merging together. And what what you'll see is, 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 Dan, you're kind of an example of this at the other end. Because you understand all the moving parts, you know that no decision-making process without sufficient criteria is actually possible. Mm. Right? Because we've talked about this a lot, and you guys might have seen Dan talk in like the list building ones, a great example. Dan's like, there's an exception to that. Yeah. There's, there's a case yeah. where that's not right. And yes, that's because Dan's got such an excellent understanding of yeah. all of the mechanics that his decision-making process is not a flowchart, it's a ball of yarn. But he knows <laughs> he knows how it all fits together. And I would It's like think, a Rubik's Cube, and I have to orientate it a certain way to get the bit of information that I need. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, whereas it's a lot like of- such a backhand and compliment. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much info, but it's just there. <laughs> but oh, see, sorry. for us, it looks like a ball of yarn. Yeah. Dan knows where all the connections are, yeah. and we don't. And so yeah. I would encourage players don't try to build a ball of yarn that's capable of Dan's level of analysis. <laughs> it's just make simple ones for your simple steps. The, the shooting one is a really simple one. What is your chance to hit? What's your chance to convert? So what is it, how many hits are you going to get? How many wounds are you going to get? And how many pins are you going to apply? And most importantly with that, that's a great place to start because it teaches you that math hammer that you guys mentioned, yeah. the, the strict definition of man hammer, math hammer instead yeah. of the, 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 the list fluffy one ones. that I use. Yeah, and, and so you know, go if you take your base hit chance of of um, three, right? That's two thirds of your shot. Sixty six percent is going to go through. Base chance of regulars is fifty percent. So if you're shooting with ten guys, you're going to get six hits. You're going to get three kills, and you're going to apply one pin unless you're using a special weapon. That's that's some envelope or napkin math that most people should get pretty familiar with if you're trying to get better at bolt action. Because lethality in bolt action is quite fluffy. Um, it's very cloudy. There's never, there are some cases where like, you know, you will target a unit and you go, well, this should actually really hurt. And then nothing, you don't get any damage out. And then you look back at the probabilities and go, oh, there was a, you know, like a one in six chance I was going to kill one guy. I thought that was going to be way more powerful. Yeah. And that, that will help you be better at analysis. Same with, same with movement. You've got to ask yourself, what's the position that I'm in? What's the position that I want to be in? What am I exposing myself to in that process? Yeah. An ambush, terrain, how many turns is it going to take me to get there? And eventually, once you have all of these little ones, you'll be able to start putting them together. Is it worth me moving within half inch to get the neg one to shoot? No, because the probability is the same unless you're Americans, unless you're using yeah. SMGs, some things like that. And now you start realizing that your decision-making very abstract, go, what happens to the math for shooting if I move closer, becomes very simple and becomes yeah. very transparent. And I think, I think that's the important thing, is you don't want to make, you want to remove the opacity from the game mechanics. I find another one, like while, while we're on the topic of flowcharts and stuff, is um, uh, we learned it when I was doing like uh, martial arts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's like, interrupting your opponent's rhythm so like a big yeah. one when i was doing um sword fighting and stuff was 
like a lot of people would stamp their foot really loud to kind of try and break up someone's rhythm before going in for like a, a combo or something. Yeah. And it, like for me, it's the same thing. And you've talked about it plenty of times of like breaking your opponent's pattern, like breaking yeah. their flow chart. So yeah. putting, doing something. And it's like that chess example of like some grandmaster, like yeah, yeah. his entire game plan was thrown out because one guy made a mistake early on. And he's like, what is this guy seeing yeah. that I'm not seeing? <laughs> like, and if you, if you managed to, if you manage to get in your opponent's head, like yeah, yeah. You've, you've already won. You're sitting there and, well, I shouldn't say you've already won, but it helps <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah, like yeah. when you have that. And uh, yeah, I, like- And interestingly enough, the flow charts are a great way to stop you from hemorrhaging your oodaloo. So that this thing we talked about interrupting your opponent's oodaloo. If you find yourself Sorry. in oodaloo, observe, Oodaloo. orient, decide, and act. Um, some fighter pilot in the 70s came up with it and that's and he was a killer fighter pilot and he ended up training a whole bunch of other excellent fighter pilots i think it was john boyd lieutenant john boyd um fa fantastic go read about the ooda loop we've talked about it before but the thing is if you find yourself in that in court in that the best thing you can do is go what's my flow chart because you need every time you pull out an order dice is you need to make a decision and if you need to make a decision you have to run through your flow chart and while it might be a little bit callous, um, you can actually ask your opponent, give me a moment to actually think about this. Let me think yeah. this through. Yeah. Because some opponents, some will be malicious about it, some not, will keep talking to you and will keep talking about stuff to try to distract you and interrupt your oodaloo. Again, you know, it's, it's part of the social He's experience. He's on to me. <laughs> <laughs> but some, like, I don't know of, I'm not going to sit here and accuse anybody. I don't think anybody's actually doing it maliciously. But these yeah. are things that happen. Mm. And sometimes you actually have to just put up a wall and go, hang on, give me two minutes to actually think this through and make a decision. And so that's, that's really important is once you realize, you know, you have that level of critique, you've developed that analysis skill, and if you can apply those things to your decision-making chart, you will find that you will be able to learn bolt action without actually playing a game. Mm. And all of these three things come together into this concept that, that I call intentional practice, which I'm sure I've farted a lot on the podcast, is this idea that it's not about just playing the game. It's not about just practicing. It's having intentional practice. What is the thing that you're actually trying to practice? Yeah. What is it that you're trying to get better at? The beautiful thing about intentional practice is you can apply it after the fact. You can have a casual game and have all the fun in the world. And as long as you remember most of the high points, you can take your intentional practice time and go through every single one of those decisions. And this, this goes under what you're talking about earlier. Like, this is a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of effort because you're consciously, like you're thinking about how you're thinking, um, which dare I say it is probably what philosophy is. And, and if the great way to lose your audience is start talking, is, is use the P word. It's a great way to lose your audience. <laughs> But that's ultimately like what you're doing. Is you're stay, thinking stay with us. Stay with yeah. us. Is, that <laughs> is, uh, is you're thinking about how you're thinking, and that's yeah. really challenging. And yeah. a lot of it doesn't come easily to anybody. No. And that in and of itself is a skill. I yeah. mean, this is all fantastic advice for, I guess, like pre-game thought, what you're going to come into the next match with. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would like to actually have some discussion with you guys on how to best analyze the game you just had because naturally you think of the outcomes uh, yes. this tank died here was that a good decision maybe i won't play it that way next time mm. whereas that might not necessarily be right because it may have been the dice it may have been it, yeah it, it probably made sense to actually commit to that move before the dice roll happened you know yeah. so yeah. and 
And that's that's probably where if we take it into the first step of um, of a game being deployment, um, that's that is straight up in terms of things you can learn how to practice with wargaming, bolt action specifically. One of the quickest areas to develop to to become a better player is to understand your deployments. And yeah. now we did a whole deployment episode on some of the different types and things you can do and things to think about. But putting it into practice, and as Gorchin says, you have to do it with intent. Sometimes that means you need to risk doing something you weren't comfortable doing with before to find out whether that in in fact actually plays to your favor. Um, and that's and that that isn't necessarily just doing things with outflank. Everyone immediately goes, reserve and outflank is the way to get around deployment. It's not. That is not the only way you can manipulate It's a very fundamental part of deployment. Oh, it's critical. But the thing is, reserve and outflank are part of deployment. Yes. They're not a way to get out of deployment. That's right. They actually add a lot of complexity to it. Yes, they do. Um, And it's things like, uh, for example, if you have mobile assets that are within your force, um, either armored cars, half-tracks, tanks, anything on wheels, transports, anything like that, that is able to maneuver quickly, you could do essentially the refuse flank move, but a turn later than deployment. So you can just put them on the right-hand side, rest your army center and left. Um, Those things can move faster than anything in your army. And if your opponent loads up that flank, just run them behind your army. Like it's, it's, it sounds really simple, but that's, that's actually, you need to actually practice to make that work. Yes. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you think you're just going to do it, and I've done it before, <laughs> when you think you're just going to do it, and then you go, you know, you know, get to the point where you're like, now I'm going to move all this stuff over here. Um, you know, and then it's, if you move this stuff first and your transport stuck in behind, or if they're threatened, you move them earlier. But, but if, if you do that last, you're generally okay. Me, with my big brain plan, was like, <laughs> I'm going to move them first. Zip them in front of my army, and my opponent's like, cool. <laughs> just shot them up. Yes. It's yeah. very interesting, the uh, redeployment, figures that can move fast, yep. anything with special rules. I've played around with it a little bit. It's actually twice as hard to do yes. so, because you now need a plan of, is it going this way, is it going that way? Twice as many decisions, twice yeah. as many chances to make a mistake. And yep. it's, it's you're not just thinking on that unit, because then how that unit affects the other deployments, yeah. Yeah. where they're going, For and all sure. that kind of stuff. So, you're talking about post-game analysis? Yes. Yeah, my strongest suggestion would be, would be follow through a simple set of questions in this one. Yeah. What was I trying to achieve? When was I trying to achieve it? How was I trying to achieve it, i.e. what units was I using to do it, and why was I trying to do that in the first place? Generally, you will find your biggest mistakes will be, will be, your first, will be the first question. What was I trying to do in the first place? Yeah. And generally what happens is people will, you want to say roast into goggles or something, people will change that intent after the fact. You've got to be honest with yourself. Oh. What was I trying to do by shooting at Jackson's unit? I was trying to kill it. I wasn't trying to score a victory point. Yes. I was trying to yes. kill it. That's right. Because why was I doing it was to kill the unit. If why was to score a victory point, I would have just run over the unit. Because even if I didn't kill them, I would still be up two victory points net total. Yeah. yeah. And so these are the things you have to ask yourself. What was I trying to do? You know, when was I trying to do it? Because as you said, Dan, if you're trying to refuse a flank with a redeployment, if you, re- if you do that too early, game's yeah. up. Yeah. Or, or even worse, you put them out in the open when they should have had something to cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, how was I trying to do it? If you're trying to use a single MMG to shoot a squad of 10 veterans in cover, 
Stop wasting everybody's time. <laughs> just stop putting, doing putting it politely. <laughs> yeah. It's like stop doing administrative dice rolls. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But this goes back to if you had everything else had activated, you needed to put a pin on that unit because it might get them to fail, and that's the best decision you have. Yes. And you weren't wasting anybody's time. Yeah. But no. this is the thing that we talked about. Is but that, if that was your opener move for the turn, and you go, really? Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. It's like it's like thanks. We all know how rolling dice works. <laughs> Let's because that that's all that you achieved is you've just picked up some dice and you've rolled. You haven't actually made an impact on the game. You get the disappointed look as yeah. well when you, when you realize that our oh, sevens on five dice is literally what always feels like exactly the same as seven on ten dice. It's just not really going to happen that much. No. Um, yeah, no. so funny. So when we talked about all of these different skills, um, it's important to then break that down to different areas of the game that you want to get better at. I think it's a it's a really great idea to sit there and go, I want to get better at bolt action, but that very quickly becomes an insurmountable challenge. Because yeah. as we just talked about, there are so many different angles you can take on this, there are so many different areas of the game. So instead, what I would probably encourage um, everyone to do, whether it's with bolt action or with anything else, but is actually just segment and section out all of the different individual skills. If you're talking about painting, break it, painting miniatures, break it all down into individual skills and individual techniques. Yeah. So what I'm doing and I've found much more progress in recent times than I have in, in the many years before that. And so the, <laughs> yeah, there'll be a picture somewhere. Um, <laughs> that was a fantastic workshop, by the way. Uh, so the the elements of the game that we've, we've touched on, but there's, there's sort of six that I would really consider to be the, the defined sections, that's deployment, which includes reserving and outflank, what you're gonna put and where. Target selection, so that's going, I'm gonna activate this unit, what is it they're going to shoot at? Um, the next one is scoring objectives. I know it sounds really weird for that one to come third, but the first to allow you to do the third. And they're not in a strict order, but objectives in these games usually boil down to hold an area or kill something. And sometimes it's temporarily hold an area and then run away. Yeah. Um, and typically you want to commit to the final parts of those towards the end of the mission. So you need to get your position If it's right not cumulative, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so then the next one is damage control, which is something that I really tried to focus on in uh, New Dawn. Let's get that right, in New Dawn. is this idea that don't, when you're losing, don't keep losing. Yeah. And so I know that it's really, really obvious to say out loud. <laughs> this is oh, makes so much sense. There, there we go, internet. Just get good. <laughs> yeah. In short, um, and I'm not again. I'm not sitting here saying this because I'm particularly good at any one of these things. But these are just individual areas. Is that when you've given up a couple of victory points? Rather than, I mean, if you think that the game's not winnable, I would probably ask you to challenge the mentality. But the, the second important thing is don't give up any more victory points. Yes. Don't make the lead bigger. Yeah. Because damage control works both ways. If you've built a lead, use your damage control skills to not sh lose that lead, not yep. shorten it. And so that damage control is really important and it's actually a skill that a lot of people don't realize is, is evident in bolt action. If, if I might just quickly speak on that because that was actually very evident the players in New Dawn that helped their team by managing their damage control in those games were very close. And so, you know, it was the margins in those games and in those rounds overall. When it started, uh, I think the Axis players were up by 12 points. Then it was tournament overall. Tournament yeah. overall. And then tournament overall round two, 
the allied players had reduced that to eight points in the lead. And so, the, yes, the players are matching up with, um, you know, against the next players, but they're starting to go, all right, this unit got absolutely destroyed last time. I've got to be more careful with that. I've got to hold that up. In the third round of four, they'd reduced that lead to one point because they, they've been able to really just control that. And at this point, as a TO, I was ecstatic. I was like, this is great. They've got a chance to come back and pull it all together. Um, unfortunately, that did not happen. The Axis <laughs> did win the event. But um, but that was in terms of a larger scale, yeah. but it was absolutely them controlling that damage and trying to go, if I'm going to draw or lose, how can I minimize the impact and damage? You also see it in a lot in campaign games or yeah. linked campaign yeah. play where you know, you have to sustain your losses that you take. And so people are a lot more hesitant about overly committing something because if it goes, it doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the next point is, is identifying mistakes that your opponent has made and identifying them as opportunities and being able to seize them. That's something that's going to come secondary from analyzing your own games. Um, and then the, the last one, as we talked about, of course, is list building. So those are the six areas of bolt action um, that I would encourage players to focus on getting better as a section. Yeah. Go, this, this, this event, I want to get better at damage control. This event, I want to yeah. get better yeah. at deployment. This event, I want to get better at, 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 uh, at scoring objectives. And these are all things that individually um, are sufficient to be better at, at bolt action. Just as we said earlier, you know, um, that it is work to do this. So yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't walk into every game going, okay, these are the six points that I need to improve every time. You need to actually just pick a couple and make that your focus point for a few matches. For an event, at least. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's really going to start improving you. And, you know, we, we listed quite a few, but it starts with deployment. Your actual positioning is going to dictate what you're going to do for the most of the game. Correct. It might seem as something that's a little bit. Um, you know, I just put my figures in, in, in cover and, and I'm going to be okay and then I can capitalize on what makes sense on the on the battlefield. But it's uh, you're going to need to know how to do it for any, any miniatures game that you're going to play. Yeah, um, largely. And, it, and it's, it's an easy one that you can reset in your mind. You can get a whiteboard out and, yeah, and, and try absolutely. this stuff and go, okay, maybe not, and then go back and see yeah. see what you can do. Obviously, the terrain's going to dictate it every time. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that, that's a that's a really easy one to start with. Yeah. Um, Something I found, like with deployment especially, yeah. um, that helps me. Here's some homework, right? <laughs> yeah. For those who are like, oh, where do I start? Where do I start? Here's a really here's something fun that I found because um during the Lorraine game, Gorchin comes up to me. He's like, oh, so you've been researching tank destroyer doctrine because of the way I was <laughs> yeah. playing. I yeah. had all my uh, tank destroyers coming on outflank, getting like rear shots on tanks and all that. And I'm like. No, never heard of it. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me think. I'm like, what a great idea. Look at what is yeah. the doctrine. And um, yeah, so I've like just been researching all of that, like the fire and maneuver stuff with the Americans and like just learning all these, how different um, doctrines worked in that era. Yeah. And then also trying to look at modern doctrines as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. Like oh, where yeah. all of us here are nerds for like yeah. military like, history, military history. Yeah, yeah. So you get to do something that's fun and get yeah. better at a game that is fun. Yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. like it's <laughs> it's completely weird. Just in case I needed to paint myself with a bigger brush, I actually just bought a, a copy of the Art of War with full commentary oh, analysis. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I was about to say the Art of War. Yeah, like. and so it's interesting that you talk about doctrines 
just as an aside, if people want source material, um, all of the US field manuals of World War II are actually public information. Um, and there are a lot of guys who have accrued that information and distilled it. So there's a guy on YouTube who's actually read and analyzed and explains the whole um, US World War II GI handbook. All of the different tactics they use, how you're supposed to lead a, an, a, a squad assault, a platoon assault. So all of that sort of stuff, if for nothing else but curiosity, is actually available. Um, and if, if that's not really your thing, if you're like me, you like primary source material, the field manuals are all available. They're all coded FM dash two numbers dash one other number or two other numbers, depending on which one you are. I think the infantry field ma manual is FM dash 17. That might be the tank one. Somebody will have to <laughs> check me on that one. But as we said, we want to move on to the take home thing. So we talked yeah. about all these individual skills, all of these other things um, that you need to be able to do and apply and look at. The question is, okay, that's all well and good HMG, but how? <laughs> and so that's, that's a really good question. And the important thing is here, what, a, a, what we're actually talking about here is mindset. The mindset yeah. that you want to have is, is often called the beginner's mindset. And it's this idea that you always have something to learn. And more importantly, the key thing about the beginner is I know um, the, the, the fraction that I know is smaller than the fraction that I don't know. And if you can have that mentality or take that stance, anytime you go to analyze something, you will actually analyze things much further and much more thoroughly. Mm. If that then confirms your previous thoughts, um, I would just ask you to double check you're not falling into confirmation bias. And yeah. if you're not, yeah. th then you're golden. But the important thing is here is we've talked about the self-critique. Yeah. Use that to analyze your own decisions that yeah. you've made in a game. Yeah. That's really important. It's learning from yourself. Now, the problem with learning from yourself is that you will only ever know about mistakes that you know are mistakes. Yes. I know that sounds yeah. like a yeah. really obtuse thing to say, no, but those, those, those mistakes are known knowns. Yeah. The difference between somebody who's very bad at chess and a grandmaster is so far removed that if you put them next to each other, the person who has no idea has absolutely no clue what they happened and no clue what they did wrong. And that is true to some extent in bolt action. It is true to some extent in, yeah. you know, in many extents in many different fields. Yeah. So that brings us to the second point is, is using your skills of analysis not on yourself, but on your opponent's decisions and all the things that they made. Now, what that means is every single game has suddenly become twice as much homework, yeah. right? If you if you really you want to get better, homework. <laughs> yeah, it's not about going. Okay, these are all the decisions that I made, but what are all the decisions that my opponent makes? Yeah, and which one of them did I actually influence? And that's a really, really important thing that you will more, most often actually get wrong. The other yeah. one, just on that as well, is what of my opponent's decisions for their sake meant nothing to me. Exactly, yeah. I think that that's actually really good that you brought that up because that's something that, that a lot of people I find get blindsided in many competitive environments, yeah. Yeah. Is, is what are the things that I actually should be reacting to? Yes. Because if you talk about um, MOBAs, if you talk about fencing, if you talk about martial arts, there's a lot of things where you have to react to everything that your opponent is doing. And that's a, that might be a, a short way to make a big jump, but it will hurt you in future progress. Yeah. You don't have to react to everything that your opponent's doing, but you have to make a decision about whether or not you're reacting. Yeah. Is make your decisions conscious, both in the proactive and in the reactive. And when you put all that together, you'll be able to grow quite rapidly because 
you're not just analyzing yourself, you're also analyzing your opponent. And because we've just said the mindset you should have as a beginner is assume your opponent is at worst slightly better than you, if yep. not a lot better than you. Yep. Because, because the game is complex, because there are six different facets to the game as we've yep. summarized them. Yep. There will always be somebody out there who is better at you in at least one of those categories. Yeah. And if you come across a table, if you come across an opponent at a table and you think you are better out of them out of five out of six categories, I would very much encourage you to refresh your beginner's mindset yeah. because you haven't brought the right mentality to learn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just because you are better 99% of that time, that 1% yeah. will make a wrong decision. Uh, on the flip side, you're talking about where you might be quite strong in one of the six, six aspects that we've yeah. talked about. Obviously, there's more. We've, 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 we've tried to just come up with things that are important focus points. We've yes. sliced the yeah. game in, in those six pieces. That yeah. doesn't mean that's the only way to slice it. Yeah. Definitely. But, you know, you may win the game, but that person is better at positioning. So you should have a look at how they did that and why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or whatever else, if, if they're, you know, maybe you got the objectives, but you lost 90% of your force to do that. Will that carry over into another game that doesn't have those same objectives? Yeah. If you play yeah. the same way, pretty much. And so that brings us on to the next point is use the, the right decision. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. Use the community. Just like yeah. Jackson does when he puts up those excellent tactics posts on Facebook, there is an incredible amount of opinions an incredible amount of analysis that is actually performed when those questions come up. Take the time to read them and, and get involved. Learn from yeah. those other people, learn from those opinions. And then the risk brings to the next point is aerate your own, right? The, the thing about all of this is, is you will come up with ideas, you will come up with analysis and critiques, and you will have summaries of everything that you do. Save them, share them. Yeah. Whether you do that in your social group, whether you do that with somebody who you've decided is the better player, um, or if you do that publicly, like I do with my list building, like Jackson does with his tactics and everybody else chimes in, these are really important things to get better at it. You, you might go in so far as saying it's a peer review from, from yep. a field of science, it's the same thing. Now the important thing about that is, is you need to like ultimately have a, a hypothesis or a statement at the end. And the best way to do that is have your statement first and then test it. Go, oh, I think this unit is overpowered. And then you go, well, I'm going to analyze it. I think this yeah. list is overpowered. I'm going to analyze it. I think this mission is garbage and, and pointless and has no player agency. I'm going to analyze it, right? And so if, I would, if you find yourself that these things are all really challenging, is, is take a break. And I don't mean stop doing it, but I yeah. mean take a break, a mental break from that particular thing. We've all had games that we've walked out of and we've just been completely pissed off at the result. You are yeah. not thinking straight. Do not analyze it. Yeah. yeah. I, I am not good enough. Do not analyze it. <laughs> I am that's not. It. That's it. That's the only message. I am not stable enough, like mentally, yeah. to analyze a mission in between events, in between missions at a tournament. Not, not to the level that I can a social game or anything like that. Because I am so focused on what I need to do next. Yeah. The, you, I literally just got that was that result. Is there a quick lesson I can take from this? Yeah. Compartmentalize it. Okay, it's only this amount of points, X win, X losses, X draws. Where do I want to be in this tournament? What do I have to do in my next two games? Yep. Yeah. Don't worry about game or three games. Don't worry about game three and four. Worry about game two and crack on. And then 
you know, I can't do it in a tournament. Yeah. I, I can't do it fast enough. I can't do it. There's too much pressure. There's too much other things going on. But that's because I'm there trying to get better. I'm there trying to win. So I have a lot of other pressures that I put on myself. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't feel negative about it. If I lose, oh, well, it's a loss. Like I play bolt action. I'm on a bolt action podcast, but it's not who I am. Believe it or not, my personality has at least one other dimension. Perhaps not more, but there's at least one, there's at least one other dimension to it. At least two dimensional. At least two dimensional. When it comes to learning from other players, I think it's really important because there are games where you have that you have played to the best of your ability. That yeah. you go, I executed this very well. I put a lot of thought process into it. I actually don't know where I went wrong. You need to talk to that opponent. Yes. Yeah. And that's yes. where you're really going to learn something yeah. that you just didn't fathom before. It um it actually touches on essentially another part which is the the use of not just the community but almost a mentor style figure um yeah and i I probably want to indulge a little bit of uh my my personal story in this so when i was when i was growing up and learning war games learning strategy games um i used to play with my dad and his brothers uh and there was no mercy uh, (laughs) which is why i think are you you the youngest of uh so yeah so i'm i'm the I was the eldest son. Okay. Um, but it was, it was my dad and his brothers. Ah, I see. So okay. I was already fighting behind a generational gap. I was going to say, I've got two older brothers. I know what no mercy feels like. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little worse. Um, <laughs> uh, and all, all three of them, um, you know, quite quite sound thinkers in in playing things, and and you know, all had um, an element of military training and stuff. And so the war games that we would play, they would go. Well, this is how they teach you to do it. So this is what we're going to do. And, uh, and, and so, you know, there were, there were certain things of, that I'd go and do and I'd be like, I'm going to do this because I think it's a good idea. And they go, but, and then just wipe me out, basically. <laughs> so, um, so that was my first basis of, and don't get me wrong, I loved every second of it. But, but um, the reality is that when I came to play Wargaming proper, for a little bit of time, it was me trying to figure it out myself and just have fun with friends. And I got into that community space. But I absolutely reached a point where I went, I, I feel like I can play better than what I'm playing because yeah. I'm looking at things going, I, I know that was a mistake and I yeah. know that was something that I could have done wrong, but I couldn't spot it at the time I was coming up to it. Yeah. And so don't don't be afraid to reach out to some of the players in your community. Not all of them are going to be able to facilitate in the same place, but some of them, like myself, are going to be in a spot where if, if you reach out and go, hey, I've come across this, this problem, I don't really know how, what to watch out for. Like I now find myself, I'm giving information back to players, like all through our community when they come and ask me about stuff. So much so to the point that those players are now mentoring other players because they are able to go, well, actually Dan's been able to offload a bunch of experience to me and I've started to learn and use that. Now I can help other people. Um, And you know, that's not meant to sound more humanitarian than what it really is. (laughs) It's still toy soldiers, but but the reality is we have, we, we leverage quite a healthy network in Perth yeah. across all the different game systems where we have this sort of buddy mentor relationship yeah. where you can come to players and go, I, I know you're better than me. You're, you're fur- a lot of these systems have rankings and so yeah. you're further up the chart and on the ranks. So what, what am I missing? What are the things I need to think about? Sometimes those players will even go to the point of, well, I tell you what, come and have a game with me and yeah. we'll, we'll go to that next step and try and figure out what are the things that you seem to be missing and yeah. you bring something that you think is going to be, um, you know, fair but but hard to play with and i want you to play as hard as you can against me i want you to play as if this was we're playing for 10 million dollars and i want you to bring your a game and fight as hard as you can 
and just work with what the dice and the games have got. Um, you know, certainly with in my previous experience with some of the other 40k players, I've, I've had those interactions yeah. with them and, and gone, you know, let's let's play down and be super serious. And the learnings that I've got out of there on, you know, things that I thought I was good at, I naturally thought I'm like, no, I'm, I know what I'm doing in this space. And, you know, both action was the same. And, you know, I play games now with, um, you know, like against Russ or the Monday Night Crew or against, um, you know, Matt or against, uh, or even to be honest, some of the newer guys coming up through our ranks in the event scene now who are getting on board. Um, and they all challenge me in, yeah. in ways that, because they, they play differently and they, they, they approach the game differently. And, um, but we wouldn't have any of that if we weren't actually taking the time to engage and actually yeah. you know, bounce those ideas back and forth for one another. Yeah. Ch chances are who you talk to is passionate about the game themselves. Chances, and, yeah. And they'll want to try and help improve. And in fact, in mentoring someone else, you are learning aspects that you might have naturally not thought about. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, you know, it was going to be our next point is, yeah. is, is find a mentor yeah. if you don't have one. Yeah. Um, failing that is, is use the community as your mentor. Um, the thing about like whenever you talk about something, whenever you have to teach it to somebody else, if you actually engage with that conversation, you'll find that some of the stuff that's in your head but not conscious comes out. Yeah. Um, and you will learn in that process as well. And that again just circles back to having that beginner's mindset. Just because somebody has has decided that you are a better player than than they are, first off, that doesn't have to be true, right? It's a perspective. And second of all, use that opportunity to learn from them, yes. right? Because they will be better at another part of the game than you are. Mm. Sometimes that might just be straight math because yeah. a pretty big part of the game is math. And, and have, have that mentor. And this all really brings us back to the last point is, is playtest. If, if you can't talk about your ideas on Facebook or whatever, if you can't have conversations with your mentor or whatever, play those ideas out on the board. And I would actually encourage you to do that first. But there's a lot you can figure out off the table. There's a few, there's many more learnings to be had on the table. Yes. So just get out there and play those games. And don't, if you want to get better, that is, or big caveat, is if you actually want to get better, don't just play, have intentional practice. Yeah. And, that, and as we said before, that doesn't mean playing your hardest at every game, but it means bringing your, your best thinking toolbox to the game afterwards at least, mm. if yeah. not during. It's like, um, I, I, I said it last episode as well, and you got really mad at me. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, like, scientific process. I know this isn't. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get mad at you. I was just disappointed, Tyler. <laughs> I was just disappointed. Uh, but yeah, like, you, if you keep practicing something and keep testing things, yes. you're going yes. to find the constants that work and yeah. the variables that keep changing. Yes. Science? Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this goes back to the list building thing that we talked about is that people will go, if something doesn't work, they throw the baby out with the bathwater and start yeah. again. Sometimes that's necessary, yeah. but that is not necessary after your first failure and yeah. it's not necessary yeah. after your first decision. If you want to play test something, as Dan suggested, don't just try it once. Try yeah. it three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And the, the, the expression is n equals three. If you haven't done the same thing three times, you don't have evidence or data, you have anecdotes. Do it at least three times because yep. you can actually get an average. And so that might be a little bit much for bolt action just because the game's recursive. You know, one game, you might do the same shooting thing 12 times. 
So like some of those things... You can work within it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not strictly n equals three games, but I think it's a pretty good rule of thumb. And then the next time you go move on to your next set of three games, only change one thing, otherwise it's not an experiment or you're not testing an idea, you're just throwing the baby out with the bathwater and you're starting your experiment all over again. Yep. So there might there is something to be said for trying out lots of different things really quickly to try lots of different mechanics, but that puts the load on you doing your homework afterwards. Yes. If you want to learn from that, you might not necessarily have to take meticulous notes about each game, but you have to have really good memory. You have to analyze each game if you want to learn like that, if you want to learn wide before you learn deep. Yeah. And if you are an experienced player, don't think that what we're talking about doesn't apply to you just because we reference beginner a lot. Like, yeah. so I was saying to these guys off camera, um, there's a lot that I still learn from playing games. Um, yeah. And like, there's there are list builds and types that I'm trying to go, you know, in my head, this feels like it should work, but I haven't quite figured out exactly the hows and the whats of where I need to go for the missions, yeah. for the yeah. damage prevention, for all the deployment stuff. And before I unleash those things upon the world, I have to have an idea of what those things are going to be like. And um, so it will come to a phase of where I start playtesting that in-game. And I may find that it's horrible. Absolutely. That it is a case of like actually one of those things where on paper, this looks amazing, but on real world application against any opponent that has a, a, a rationally sane idea of how to do things, it's dumb. It just doesn't work. <laughs> But I could also go the other way and my opponents could be like, I just don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. And then you've got a whole different beast that you've got to yeah. deal with. But because um, you can you can be seen to be a win at all cost, gamey, hardcore like player simply because you're a, your first three test games, hypothetically, you're against three different opponents and they went, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> again, probably not the time to scrap the list. Probably about, okay, well, this is how it works. This yeah. is what I would yeah. suggest to count. If you're really up for the challenge, this is how I suggest you counter it, what I think I'd struggle with. Now let's run that game again yeah. and you will learn things about what's going on. And like the wider you can spread that net of who you can talk to and who you can play against, yeah. the yeah. better you're gonna get. Like, For sure. I the mean, faster yeah, you'll get better. Yeah, yeah. And for sure. Like, Cause I find, Gorchen always talks about it. He's like, tanks, no good, work around them, you'll be fine. Like, <laughs> basically, right? That's all Gorchen And this is coming tanks. from somebody who loves tanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, like, I took a, I took my panther, and people did not know how to deal with it. Tyler well. was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy because, like, I'd had Gorchin in my ear for months, being like, "Yeah, people just work around tanks. You just work around tanks." But that's because Gorchin works around tanks. <laughs> it's not the wider community. So yeah, you're gonna. What I mean by that is like things that work on some people yeah. aren't always going to work on yes, other people, yeah. and that's another thing you should keep in mind when you're practicing and like. The whole n equals three thing yeah. that's another variable is your opponent that's absolutely right. yeah, yeah absolutely sure. yeah i would recommend in any sort of play testing that you don't just play the same player even yeah. if that player is exceptionally good or has multiple armies you actually want the wider sampling across different patterns of thought and you won't actually get that with the same individual yeah they might it might look like you are but you actually won't be um like i, I play my list differently with the way that they're built but I generally still navigate around a certain way of playing. Yeah. Um, you want to break that mold and, and have it spread, as you said, cast that net as far as you can. Yeah. Thanks for checking in with us again. Hopefully this is a good guide to getting a little bit better at bolt action. Plenty yeah. to think about. 
Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm Daniel. Gorton. And I'm Tyler. Um, so I just wanted to put a thank you out to Good Games Rockingham for hosting us for this episode. They've yeah. actually done quite a lot for us in the past. Um, we are regularly here on, I guess, every Sunday or so for the RHG uh, Rockingham Historical Gamers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good, big thank you to the store for letting us use the space. Um, and everybody out there that is watching us, uh, thanks for supporting us. Uh, please put a like, comment, subscribe, follow us on YouTube at Western Tabletop. Uh, if you're listening to our audio versions, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on uh, Apple iTunes and Google Podcasts as well. Um, and yeah. There's also the email as yes. well. Okay, and the email as well. People want to get in, uh, in, yeah. in contact with us. What's the email address? Yeah, so if you want to contact us via email, you can get to us at historicalminiaturesgamers at gmail.com. Yeah. I think that's the, our email address. Uh, and yeah, look, we it, it's any questions that, that are related to obviously the podcast content or what you want to see or what you want to yeah. do. Um, like we're more than willing to work in ideas. We've already had a couple of suggestions through Facebook and stuff to, for some of the content. Um, and we're trying to get to that as quick as we can. But it's it's about you know what we're doing here in Perth and what we find fun and what we're, and all the different things that we can tell you. Um, yeah, but just let us know. And and that's not just for the podcast. You can send yeah. us other things that we, we are a YouTube channel. We want to do more things about battle reports, reviews on all kinds of game systems. So if there's anything that you want to see us do, please reach out to us on that email or on our social media, etc. We're actually doing something for that. You might be able to see just like, you'll see little bits of houses, I don't think. Yeah, you you see like bits of the grass map. We'll get to that. It's a little sneak peek for what's, uh, what's coming next. Um, and finally, we're gonna be launching a merch store. So we're mm. gonna have some t-shirts that'll be themed to Western Tabletop. I'm gonna tabletop. put pictures on Gorchin's face here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have shirts themed to HMG and Western Tabletop. I'm thinking some funny things like Pink Panther, uh, you know, uh, an acronym is an initialization with a picture of a BAR. Anything that you want to put out there. Any Science kind of... process. <laughs> Science question mark. Needless to say, we're going for humor. <laughs> with, but we'll try and relate things to the episodes and, and how things have been done and our personalities as they're developing. So some of it, if it's... All two dimensions for some of us. All two dimensions, yeah. So for certain things which um, which appear like out of sync and stuff, they may have some uh, different meanings, obviously, <laughs> to what we're doing. But um, but but yeah, yeah, we just want to... Uh, I mean, for starters, we can avoid wearing the same shirts. Yeah, yeah that'd be good. But yeah, uh, just keep in mind that this is just a whole community thing. We don't have any budget behind this. So any yeah. help that you can provide to us, please do. Uh, I'm not e-begging here, but you know, <laughs> apparently likes and subscribes helps us in some way. So if you can do it, that would be awesome. Yeah, but even just contacts as well. Like if you yeah. know people that are in Perth that have helped you guys out to do things, um, you know, we're always on the lookout for local community people because um, that's largely what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, any any way we can support local, especially at a time like now, um, is very important for us all. Um, yeah, so just hit us up. Okay, thanks for checking thanks in. Thanks, everyone. See you next Ciao. time.